Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. Obedience. Similar themes are going to be talked about today, but being led by the Spirit is not always just an easy path. And so I, I get the joy of actually getting to share with you some things God's doing, but also kind of maybe provoke you. Uh, it's a weird job being a pastor. At the same time that you need to sit and love and listen, you need to like coax and like push and, and not kick, but like sometimes y'all don't act like sheep, you act like donkeys, and I'm not trying to be mean, but you got to pull somebody sometimes and they're a little stubborn about it. I'm, I've been more a donkey in my life with Jesus where he's not like, come on, and I'm like, he's like, come on, we got to go. Or you need to step out. And, and so the theme that we are going to talk about today is the difference between worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Do you know that there's a difference between the way that the world thinks and the way that heaven thinks? That there's a difference. There's an economic difference. There's a spiritual difference. There's, a, there's an entire gap distance between how heaven it works, the authority there, the structures there, the things there, and the things here. And right now, we believe that we are already and not yet in that system. So already, Jesus died securing your salvation. Already, the Spirit's been poured out. Already, the Word of God is here. Already, 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 and already. And then there's the not yet, like we haven't seen him fully face to face, and I can't wait. So in your life, how you make decisions, where you go, what you go, don't go, uh, how you spend your money, how you raise your kids, uh, all that stuff, the question at the bottom, and I'm just going to ask the end question at the front because that's what every sermon teacher told me not to do. The way that you live your life, is it worldly or is it heavenly? And what I know. And not would I, but would God know, or would the world know? Would the earth know at all that you have the aroma of God on you? Would the earth know at all that you make decisions not based off what you feel or think, but off of a higher paradigm? Like, would the world know at all that the God's people are driven and led by someone who's very real and very tangible, and it wouldn't look or feel like the world? And here's the thing. Sometimes God leads, and it's real mundane real normal. You know, like raising kids, that was God's idea. Marriage, God's idea. Sex, God's idea. So it can be nor- normal. I'm using normal. But then you, you fill these normal places with the glory and presence and power of God, and they might look normal, but they're anything but. Anybody ever experienced that? Like just, you're just doing something normal, and all of a sudden the tangible love of God, right at your kitchen sink, you're doing something normal, like fighting with your wife, and all of a sudden God's you know, peacemaking breaks out in your life. Like Worldly wisdom typically is very you-centered. What do I want? And if we sat down and I asked you that question, what do you want? Could you make a list? Do you know what you want? And some of you, this is your problem. You have no idea. You're just kind of like, well, I guess I could make some money over there, so I'll go do that for a few years. I, I guess that'll feel good, so I guess I could go do that for a year or two. That's, that's the typical MO of the world. 
I am driven by urges and desires and flashy things, and I grab hold of them, and I realize that they actually fall through my hands like sand, and then you get to heavenly, holy, weighty God things. And so for the next month, well, I guess we're two weeks into it, um, we're going to be talking about that idea, talking about how do, how do we live not in the world, but not of it. That's a hard thing to pull off. I don't know if you're like me. I feel it. I feel the world like call me and pull me. And all of a sudden, some nights I'll be like, wait, we're not, what are we doing? What are we focused on? Why are we living? Why are we doing this? And it's so easy to get pulled into the ripstream. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, and before you know it, you'll be back in this room. What happens in that amount of time? A lot of variables are at play. If you want to take a biblical worldview, you have your flesh will be at play. Also, the Spirit of God will be at work. There will also be angels and demons, and there will also be the whole spirit of the world of this age at play. All those things are pulling on you. So you almost have to hear, what is this, January 14th? You have to make a decision right now that I'm going to go different, I'm going to set my mind on world, not, whoa, that was the opposite of what I wanted to say. You're not going to set your mind on the world. The reality is, though, American Christianity is very muddled. We've married the world. And so, I'm going to be really weepy today. You'll find out. Um, And I don't do good with emotions. I stuff my emotions. So when my emotions come out, I can't hold them. So then there's bleh. Okay. (sighs) So let's pray. And then we're going to go to John 14. Because I only have two things I'd like to teach you today. And they're two words, obedience and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll try to apply that in a practical sense and maybe challenge you to follow God crazier than you've ever followed him this year, okay? So Jesus, we love you. Your presence is sweet. Your leadership is perfect. Thank you for this church, which you are the head of. Thank you already for the ministry that you've done this morning. And I ask for greater more than we can even think or imagine. That even right now as I speak and the word of God is read, that the hearts of men and women would burn with holy fire from the world. We would feel and you would refine us. You would actually separate us from the world. We would feel ourselves and our ties to the things of the earth. They would grow dim. That by the spirit of the Lord, by the word of God, you would cut the tethers to the earth and we would run with you. I thank you for this body. I thank you for this people who I can see love you. Would you lead them? Would you fill them? And would you show them your glory? In the name of Jesus, amen.
So if I was to be like, hey, are you worldly or are you, you know, earthly? You'd be like, I don't know. How do I know? Well, I think I can make it really easy. And I like simple because I'm pretty stupid most of the time. So if you think about, okay, as I'm walking my life, am I walking in a way that I am being obedient? And you're like, why does that have to do with anything? That has to do with everything, with following Jesus. Obedience is actually better than sacrifice in a lot of ways. Because you're called to follow a very real God who has laid out plans for you and even ways and established, like, hey, go, don't go here, go here. Hey, spend your time praying, not worrying. And so when we obey those things, we see the fruit of the gospel. So in John 14, verse 22, you have Jesus saying some really scary things to his disciples. He says things like, I'm gonna go away. Now, if you've been left everything, you sold, the, you sold the family fishing business and you followed a guy for about three years and towards the end of that three years, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey guys, this has been good. My time's short though and I'm gonna go die. But don't worry. That statement itself is kind of funny, right? Hey, I'm leaving and I'm gonna go die, but don't, don't worry about it. It's gonna be okay. Obviously they freak out. And he's like, but I'm, I'm going, but I'm going to manifest myself to you. You're going to see me, though. They're not going to see me, but you are going to see me. And then Judas, and it says specifically because Iscariot gets a bad rap because, you know, for who he is. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? which is a great question, right? So I talk to Jesus to people, about Jesus to people that don't know him, and it's almost like they look at me like, what do you mean you know him? What do you mean he led you? What do you mean that's the word of God? And it sounds crazy to them, because they're like, I think it's this. I think it's when Jesus says, the world won't see or understand, and I won't manifest myself to them, but to you, the ones who believe, the one who are mine, I will manifest. You will see me. And that word manifest, we don't use it a lot. It just means make tangible, make real, make visible, make the reality of heaven real. And, and Jesus answered him. And this is why I said obedience is key. If you want to live a heavenly life, you need to be obedient. Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not keep, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Do you hear what he just said? And if you got into NIV where I was raised, it would say, if you love me, you'll obey me. And as a young guy, I was like, what do you mean obey that sounds like submission. But that's not a dirty word in Christianity. That's actually like, that's where life and freedom and hope and the yoke of Jesus come into play. So if I followed you around, or, or better yet, we played your week on video screen behind me. We just got to see what you did, how you did it, who you did it with, where you went and why you went there, the motives of your heart. Would we see obedience there? That you were, be, you were like, yes, Lord, I will go. I will open my mouth. I will spend my money. I, it, see, the reality is American Christianity, 
I don't know when it happened because I, I like to study history. We put ourselves in the middle and we said, God, we want you to bless us. We don't want to go to hell, but really we're still the central part of this. Our family, our business, our livelihood, our comfort. And, and, and very quickly, you, you start to, like I said, mix where things should never be mixed. But true Christianity is Jesus Christ is worthy of every drop of my life. Every drop of glory on this earth, every other earth in the heavens and under the earth. He's worth everything. And so when we come to Jesus, this gets missed a lot because it doesn't sell well. Meaning, no, you don't get to keep your life. You get to come to the king of glory and go, I don't have life without you. You be the middle and I'll go around you. That's the place that I think God wants this church to walk. So let me ask you, and if you haven't asked God, this is your homework, actually. God, where do I need to obey you? Where have I been disobedient? And the reality is, if you are in Christ in this room, and I'm praying, and most everybody, you're at church on a Sunday in America, you're like, I'm a Christian, good, me too. But so often, I think we have this problem, this disconnect, where we don't come to the Lord a lot and go, hey God, check my heart. Just... Is there places that I'm not obedient? Is there places that I'm not listening for to be obedient? Because here's the reality. If you don't ask him about how to spend your money, you get to do what you want. If you don't ask him about your sex life, you get to do what you want. If you don't ask him about your Netflix binging, you can just keep doing what you want. But the heart of the Christian is, I have found what's better than all those things, and his way is higher. His way is holy. His way is perfect and pure. His way is not of the earth. And I think that's the rubbing point is, I won't get my way. You will not, but you'll get his. And his way has never disappointed me. It scared me. It's offended me. But when I started walking, when I was like, oh, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient, it was beautiful. I think the Lord would have some of us go, okay, am I worldly or am I heavenly? The ones tied to heaven will go, yes, Lord, whatever you want. The heart of every missionary I met, you know what it is? The glory of God. I want to spread the renown of Jesus to every corner of the earth. Every heart of every Christian businessman I've ever met who's truly a Christian businessman and not just a businessman with Christian stickers, but a true man of God who owns a business goes, I want God to get glory here. So how's your obedience? And if you're like, I don't think he's asking me to do anything. The only problem with that is the Bible. Just the whole thing. And I'm not mad at you. But if this feels weighty to you, I feel the weight of this because I feel the call of God uh, a lot of times. And I've chickened out so many times, guys, where I was like, that would cost me too much or that would be weird or they, would, they wouldn't like me, or they would laugh at me. Do you feel that sometimes? But the Lord's calling us to not to be worldly anymore, but to be heavenly, to be salt and light, to be the aroma of Christ on the earth will make you weird. You know John the Baptist? You know? You're like, no, I don't know him personally. Do you know of him? Have you heard the name John the Baptizer? Yeah? 
Was he weird or normal? Somebody said very weird, <laughs> right? So here's this, the spirit of the Lord is on a man. He's the greatest man born of women ever. This is Jesus's words about John the baptizer. And what did John do? Wore camel hair, ate bugs, came out of the wilderness looking like the Lord's coming. Like that's, that's the life that he was called to and Jesus calls him great, right? All the disciples are doing the normal thing. They're fishing and working and they, got, they flunked out of rabbi school. That's why they're fishing and working. And he comes to these rejects and he goes, come follow me. And what do they all do? They drop everything and people, he, he says, they're gonna hate you. Why? Because they hate me. They're gonna persecute you. Why? Because they persecute me. And the more that American Christianity tries to fit in, the more we ruin our call. Obedience to God will not make the world like you. Because there will be moments where they will cheat on their taxes, but you will not. There will be moments where they will lie to get, the, the, get hired, and you will not. There will be moments where the whole earth is cheering at a football game, but the spirit of the Lord is on you to get on your face and intercede for the nations, and you will not. You will go and pray. Do you see how obedience is not this glamorous Christianity where you have gold cufflinks, which I've never wanted, and a suit and a platform? It's obedient to one man. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I'll follow him wherever he tells me to go. A lot of us, though, today, today God's going to call you to some things. And you have a choice. And Christians, if you feel convicted, you know what that is? That's a sign that you're a son or daughter. You know why? Because the Father in heaven, Jesus said he's a good father. And what father doesn't discipline his kids? That's discipline. That's it. Hey, let's start obeying. Anybody want kids that don't obey? Is that what you've been praying for? Like every night you're like, God, I just pray that they would just not listen to me. You know, <laughs> no one celebrates that, right? And so it makes it really easy because he gave us a whole book that tells us what his heart is, what he's like, what he likes and doesn't, doesn't like. The whole Bible's not about you, it's about God. And so it's, it, he made it easy for us. He said, come follow me. Come be like me. Come learn from me. Come take my yoke, not the earth's. So I think if you're like, I don't know if I'm worldly or heavenly, how's your obedient life? Are you obeying God? And then the second thing that I would say, and I need to talk way shorter than I am. The second thing I would say when we talk about obedience, yes, we want to obey scripture, but scripture says that there will be a comforter, a helper that will be given the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit will only speak what the Father says. That he will lead us. So when Galatians says, be led by the Spirit, when Colossians says, walk by the Spirit, when Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, there's this expectation in all of Christianity that God hasn't left us and then been like, figure it out. He actually gave us his Spirit who will lead. So in Acts 16, 6, you don't even have to go there. There's this thing that I, I keep noticing as I read Scripture, and I want it to be normal here. But... This is, I think, this is Peter, maybe Paul. And they went through the region of Fergie. I can't say that word. 
yeah, let's go Phrygia. That feels good. And Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Did you hear that? So they're, these are the apostles. These are the sent ones. These are the arrows in the hand of God. Like they're getting shot to dark places and blowing up idols. And I mean, riots are starting when they show up. And then massive amounts of people are getting saved. They're just slanging the word of God. And they're just on a mission. Like, I don't care where I go. I'll tell you about Jesus and the power of the cross. And Jesus is Lord. And then all of a sudden, they're going this way. And then what does it say? The Holy Spirit forbid them to go there. So that must, I, what did that, let's just do this. What was, what was that? What did that feel like? What did that sound like? Was it like they hit an invisible wall? They were just walking and they're like, I can't go, I guess I'll go there. What was that, right? That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's who we say that we have. So when you're like, well, I don't know what to obey, I would challenge you in, in this. For the first years of my Christianity, I didn't know how, I knew how to obey, but I didn't know about the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think there's shame on you if you've never felt led by the Spirit, but I do think there's an openness and a willingness that's what I would ask you today. If tonight, let's just say you're in your bedroom and all of a sudden your bedroom's full of holy light, and it's an angel of the Lord, and he says, I've been sent by the God of heaven and earth to tell you that you need to sell your belongings, take your family, and go to a foreign place and pronounce the name of Jesus there. And then it goes away, fades and after you're done being in a stupor of like, oh my gosh, I think I'm having a mental break, you realize that the God of heaven sent you an angel to tell you. That happens in the Bible, does it not? What's your heart do? What, what, what are you like, I get, you just smack your wife, you're like, babe, we gotta go. And you start selling your house or do you try to uh, talk it away? And I think what I've noticed about the saints of old, the whole Hebrews 11 hall of faith is when God showed up, when God led, when God provoked, you know what they did? Only one thing, yes. So it's not about, hey, can I discern if that's God or not? It's when I know it is him, I go. When God calls, I say yes. And I would ask you, so not only obedience, but as God has led you in these last months and years of your life, have you ever, and this is sad because I've, I've done this, where you're like, I think that's the Lord, but I don't want to do it. So you kind of like, it's not physically, but in your heart. You're like, I'm just not even going to think about that. I'm not even going to give that a possibility because that's, that's too much for me. And I think the heart of a disciple, the heart of one who's tied to heaven is, it doesn't have to make sense to me logically. It doesn't have to be, you know, I think there's a thing as like wise counsel in the church. I think there should be brothers and sisters. So when we say, hey, I think the spirit doesn't want me to go to Asia, forbid me that I could look at my brother Jeremiah and be like, I don't think the Holy Spirit wants me to do this. What do you think? That he would be able to test that. First Thessalonians 5.16 says, test everything. So even if an angel comes into your bedroom, and start saying some stuff, and, and you can test that according to the word of God. So worldly wisdom will tell you to value comfort. It will tell you to value success. 
and it will tell you to value glory for your own sake. Meaning people respect you. People like you. Heavenly wisdom will value the exact opposite. It will value the name of Jesus and his glory above everything. It will begin to not value money but people because God created people and died to save them. It will begin to, the value systems switch. Have you experienced that? And for years in America, we haven't called it out because we've got to do both. Because the culture, the culture accepted that message. But American Christianity is dying. And what we need is people who will go, okay, God, no matter what, obedience. Okay, Holy Spirit, I think that's you. I'm going to go. That's the first two steps to walking in heavenly wisdom. So if you're like me, maybe you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have a lot of heavenly wisdom in me. Well, then I think there's really only one logical step. I think we need to get on our faces and cry aloud for the Lord to lead us and guide us and fill us and restore us and make us, make us his again. And traditionally, when God's people have realized that they are full of the earth or they've sinned or they've grieved the Lord, you know what they do? They fast put on sackcloth, tear their clothes, and cry out for God. And you know what I noticed as I studied this? That God seems to always relent. Every time. And I'm like, you know what they're doing, right, God? They're just putting on a show, and they're, they know they're supposed to fast. And they know they're supposed to weep. And they know they're supposed to rip their clothes. But you, and then like two paragraphs later, they're doing the exact same stuff again. But God's gracious and generous, and his faithfulness far outreaches ours. And I don't know if you've heard this, but we are going to be fasting. And if I could put some emphasis on it, I would call you to fast these next two weeks. Over and again through the Bible, Solomon does this, David does this, Jehoshaphat does this. All the kings of Israel, at one point in time or another, they call all the people and they go, call a fast. And usually it's because there's a foreign army about to invade. And they're like, oh, pull the help button. It's like smash in case of emergency. That's what they do. People, God's people have always understood that prayer is this normal behavior, but when things hit the fan, you better start fasting. And there's, there's a mixing there, a fasted prayer where I, I will put aside sustenance and comfort. Anyone of you ever eat, not eaten even just like a couple meals in a day and you get home and your whole family's like, boy, you are not a nice person. Anybody? Like, can we be, like, the whole, like, eat a Snickers, you're not yourself, that whole thing? Now I w I'm challenging you to do that for two weeks. And I know some of you are like, well, I, 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 I don't want to, I can't do that. And, I, and, I, and I, I feel the weight of this because I would ask you to fast that we would be a church that would be so heavenly minded that the earth would be marked forever. I don't go, I'm not going small on this fast, like just make me feel your love a little bit more. I'm talking like full torn transformation. Oxford knows the name of Jesus. We see God in his glory. You can't even walk out of here because the glory of the Lord's so thick. You gotta crawl, like crawl out of this room. You're like, that's intense. I'm an intense person. And if we're gonna fast and cry out to the Lord, ask for greater things than you can think or imagine. And so I want to lay a framework for fasting. And so go to Matthew 9, verse 14. This is Jesus' words. 
Funny thing is, when you, you talk about fasting, I, if I was to invite three different people I know in this room to tell me what's fasting about, I'd probably get three different answers. Because if you come from a charismatic background, you're going to talk about travailing. And if you come from my background, you're going to talk, talk about like a spiritual discipline. So I think somewhere in the middle, you've got to look at the Bible, and then we'll talk about what the Spirit's doing here. No place in all 13 letters of Paul's book does he ever say, you should fast. Neither does Peter, and neither does John. There's never actually a command to fast. Did you know that? And if you want to fight me, go ahead. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm just saying, it's interesting, though, that for the last 2,000 years, Christians have fasted. It's interesting that the 2,000 years before that 2,000 years, the Jewish people, they fasted. Now, they do have commands. So why do we fast? Well, let's start with Jesus. Then we'll look at early Christians. And then we'll look at, hey, here's some examples in the Bible of why they fasted. And then maybe we'll get a baseline for why we should. Well, number one, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus himself fasted. How many days? 40. That's a long time. That's not what we're doing. We're doing 14 days. So just turn Jesus' numbers backwards. I don't know. That was a bad joke. Anyway. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus like a dove at his baptism, and then immediately that same spirit leads him into the wilderness to purge him of all things. No food, nothing. And he's out there, and then he's tempted at the end of that. I'm tempted by like a smelling good food after three days of fasting. I don't know how Jesus does it, but he's our example, is he not? And Jesus fasted. Jesus also gave these instructions about when you fast, not if, but when you fast, don't go out on the streets and make a big deal. Don't look like you got greasy hair. Wash yourself a little bit. Do things in secret in your prayer closet so God will see your heart and he'll respond. This is Jesus teaching on prayer, on fasting, on these disciplines. And then finally, he's speaking about his departure and he says, he says then they will fast once I'm gone. That's what I want to read to you, Matthew 9. So John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples, come to Jesus and his disciples. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, did you hear it? Then they will fast. Is Jesus bodily with us right now? then we will fast. And I, I think you don't, I, I've always had people try to dissect this. What's Jesus saying? I'm with them. My presence is with them. Here I am. They don't need to fast or mourn or long because they have my presence. So if I was to give you the most base definition of fasting that I have, fasting is a longing, a yearning for the presence of God in your life. It's going I have a deposit, but I want more. I have promises, but I want to see them. I have his goodness, and I have assurance, and I have hope, but I want to see you saturate me, God. I think that's what fasting is. So if Jesus fasted, he commands his disciples. I mean, it's not a command. It's when you will fast. This is what will happen. Early Christians have always fasted. You have the leaders in Antioch. They are constantly getting getter, together in the book of Acts. And you know what they're doing? Worshiping and fasting. Almost every time you see a leader put into space in the Acts, Acts church, they're praying and then they're fasting. 
They're like, hey, we got to make a decision. Let's fast and let's pray. Then the Holy Spirit inevitably shows up and speaks to them. And then they're like, well, now that he's spoken, we should fast and pray some more. And then we'll lay our hands and install these guys. Every time. So you'll see that in the Antioch church, Acts 13. You'll see in Acts 14, uh, Peter and Paul, they're all going from church to church to church to church, installing elders. And every time they install elders, they fast and they pray. Then God shows up and then they're like, we know now what to do. And they fast and pray some more. It's almost like a normal occurrence in the church. Paul and Barnabas do this. Peter does this. They all fast. And so I've met a lot of Christians that we brought it up last week. Hey, we're going to fast. And they're like, I've never fasted. I've never understood it. I had a weird aunt once who told me she fasted for 21 days. And I thought that was a little intense. So I was like, I don't want to do that. I would challenge you if you've never fasted, you need to decide in your heart right now, I'm going to fast for the next two weeks. And now it'll, it might look different. The Jews always did food. Why? You need food to live. You don't need TV to live. You don't need your phone to live. I know a teenager's heart just went, I do. You don't. You do not need your phone. You do need air, water, and, and bread. And what you're doing is a spiritual, like you're spiritually doing a thing. It's not about self-deprivation. It's not about like, there's some, there's some groups that whip themselves and make themselves bleed so they can like, appease God. This is, I want to starve the earth and what's worldly, so that I might grab a hold of what is heavenly and actually real. So I've found, as I have fasted in the past, that actually during the fast, I feel like garbage. Doesn't that put a lot of hope in you? Can we not be real? Right, I'm angry, I'm tired, I'm cold. I'm like literally like, I have, I, you actually can't get me mad during a fast because I'm just weak. All I want to do is lay on the floor and pray. I feel like that's what it's supposed to produce. A weakness in the flesh and a strength in the spirit. And so maybe you need to fast a meal a day. Maybe you need to do every other day. Maybe you should do three days on, one day off. I don't know what you need to do, but I would dare, not dare you, that doesn't feel right in the church. Provoke you, challenge you, the call of the Lord in scripture and by the spirit of the Lord to this church is to fast, that we would see the Lord in greater measure than we ever have. So in the Bible, if you were like, why, well, why did they fast in the Bible? There's three things that I can pinpoint. The first one is repentance. They would be called out by a prophet and be God's displeased with this or that. And immediately, usually the king would call a fast. And the people would mourn and wail and cry out to God, and then he would save them. And so if you're here and you're like, I want to live for God, I think fasting is a great way to fast track that, to kind of cr crunch some of that stuff you got going on in you and make your spirit alive, like running with Jesus. So if you have sin, I mean, you can, 1 Samuel 7, uh, they are made aware of their past and present like failures, so they fast. You see 1 Kings 21, king, even King Ahab, who was not a good king, y'all, realizes that God's displeased with him. And you know what he does? Fasts and prays. And you know what God does? Relents for a time. You see in Nehemiah 9, he says, assembled the people for fasting and in sackcloth, and they confessed their sins for days. 
So there's something not just about like, yeah, I feel bad about my sin, or oh, I think the Bible called, it's, I literally have taken it so internal, I'm not gonna eat, there's nothing else more important. I want my heart pure before God. The second thing that I can see is you'll see that they would fast to grieve. So King David, he fasts, he's getting punished for his behavior with Bathsheba, but he doesn't want his child to die. So he's fasting and he's mourning and he's weeping and he's grieving. So it's a little bit of repentance, but it's also grief. And then finally, when the child does die, he gets up and he washes his face and he says, the Lord be good. The Lord's good and I trust him. You'll see in 2 Samuel, uh, in 1 Samuel, King Saul dies, falls on his own sword, and the people fast and weep and mourn. So it's not even about them and their personal grief. It's like, our king's dead. Let's weep and let's mourn and let's fast. David and his mighty men do the same thing when they hear about King Saul. They fast, they weep, and they mourn. There's grief. Psalm 69, David says, I've wept and I am humbled and I've humbled my soul with fasting, with not eating. So repentance, grief, and then the final one, I, I think you can see clearly through scripture and there's so many examples where God's people were like, we need God's favor, we need God's direction, we need God more than we need life, let us fast and seek him. And so then they would call a fast and all the people, the men would grab the, the families and they'd come to their, to, together at the temple and they would fast and they would pry, cry out and then God would move and he would tell them everything from here's what you do with this invading army. Here's what you do for the coming season and the crop. Here's what you do. Like, it was amazing that when the people humbled themselves and said, God, we want to fast unto you, that God was faithful to show up and lead them. I think all those things and more can be used during this next two weeks. Two things, and then we'll try to land this bad boy. We got to get out of here, win. Good, that's fun. No, 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 you see, you know, you know, I love clocks. Christian fasting is always God-faced, God-word. It actually has little to do with you. And so often in, in the beginning, I'd be like, well, if I fast, I can get God to do. And that's a really, really dangerous motivation to fast. The baseline motivation of Christian fasting is your will be done, your kingdom come. And Christians for thousands of years, like I said, they were like, we need his help. We need his favor. We need his guidance. We need his presence. We need, his, we need him more than he needs us. We need him more than we need food. And that was how they all entered into fasting and prayer and repentance and grief and seeking the favor of the Lord. And then he would lead. And I expect he's gonna lead in the two weeks more than we've, we've seen in a while. John Piper says Christian fasting is unique. And this is what he said. He says, in fasting, we confess we are not home yet. And remember, we are not homeless. So in some sex and some cults they'll fast to try to appease their gods jesus christ died on a cross to appease all that is needed meaning i'm not homeless i know where i'm going and i'm not fasting to get my way in i'm not fasting to earn god's favor and i'm not fasting because i don't know if i'm saved or not i am fasting because i want to be more his than i am right now 
and the testimonies that I could share, I, I know Mike Shea would share you one. I know I could tell you one. I know Terry Barry could tell you one. I know Jeremiah. I, almost every person that I interact with a lot could tell you a testimony. I fasted for my son, and I saw God break through. I fasted over my own sin, and I found that I didn't love the things of earth as much anymore, and I loved God better. I found that I was more a man of God or a woman of God than I have ever been. So will you fast with me? Will you? And I know some of you are like, I'm not fast. That's fine. I say that because I, I think in the next two weeks, I kind of need you guys. This is where the tears will come. I would not be a good shepherd if I was not willing to do everything I just told you. So if I go, hey, obedience is key, but I don't obey, what kind of shepherd am I? And if I go, hey, the spirit of the Lord will lead you. You, must, you can say yes or no. And I, and I said, no, I don't think I'd be a very good example. Um, so for the last 17 years, I've been the pastor of Cobblestone Community Church. It's been an honor. I don't think I will be for much longer. So about two months ago, I was on my face and I was praying at a retreat that was designed to listen to God, which I love because I don't like going to retreats where they're like yelling at you or trying to force you to just sit before God and ask him. So I sat before God and I said, God, what do you got next for me? And I heard some things and I was like, oh, those are good. Things like, you're not gonna be tired as you do this thing. And I was like, I don't wanna be tired. Good, that's great, thank God. And it was the last thing. It was the voice that if you know, you know, like the sweet whisper of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're gonna step away. But not for the reasons you think. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. And in that moment, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was like a waterfall of God is going to take you and put you away from teaching and away from a stage. And he's going to put you in a prayer room and over prayer ministries. And you're just going to intercede and be God's there. And at first, I, I, I started weeping in the room I was in. And I think Dave Baird knew when it happened because I started crying and wailing almost. This is going to change my life. This is going to change my life. And so I'm at a moment now where it's both, it's sorrow or grief, but extreme joy. So I'm going to follow God. And so in the next coming months, so, so somewhere through February will be one of my last sermons. And there's a lot of details. And as we've learned, I'm not good at details. But there's a poem that kind of sums up what I would leave you with. And it's not mine. It was an unknown poem on a guy from one of the Great Awakenings. Um, and it just says, I heard a call, come follow. That was all. Earth's joys grew dim. My soul went after him. I rose and I followed. That was all. Will you not follow if you hear his call? And so church... I want you to follow Jesus, not a man. I don't, I've never wanted actually to be this. I wanted to be a 50-year-old weird youth pastor. And I'm not joking. 
I fell in love with Jesus at 17, and all I wanted to see was teenagers fall in love with that same Jesus. They realized that drugs and sex were nothing compared to him. That's all. And then in some turmoil in this church some like 14 years ago, all of a sudden I found myself an adult pastor, and I don't even like adults. And it's been a joy. And so for seven years, I did what I was taught. I preached the Bible. I fought the charismatics. I did all. I was like, God, I'm, I, you know, I'm your. I'm your man. And then slowly, God started to show up in the power of the Holy Spirit and show me how little of his man that I was. And he broke me. And then he started to do it here. And, and it's been, it's got some highs and some lows. People have left. People have come. And I, I have to tell you, I love you which I probably wouldn't have said seven years ago. Reformed guys don't do that. But God is building a thing here that is not based on me. And it's not based on who's coming after me. And it's not based on seven dudes in the back. And it's not based off any one person. It is based off one thing. We are a people that will obey. Mm, ooh, I feel the Lord. Okay, so you have to hear me. I don't want you to mourn me. I don't want you to go cry out for some great new God. I want you to fall on your feet and go, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus is my one true love. And I heard him call. And if I didn't answer, what kind of man would I be? And so we'll be sharing details. And that's why I need you to fast with me. I need you to fast with me because I think God's setting this church up for something great, but also I, I can feel myself fall into fear a little bit about what my future looks like. I think that's all the details. Did I miss any? Great. Chief, we're, we're not in a talking mood these days. <laughs> fast for the glory of God to be here. That when sinners walk in, they would weep because of the spirit of conviction on this place. I want you to fast and I want you to ask God that his word would be preached so fiercely that it would burn in men's hearts. They would be cut down, not by a real sword, but by the spirit of the Lord. I want you to fast that God's presence would be made manifest here and that you would, you would feel him. I want you to pray that we would be seriously not a body of the world, but of heaven. And that when people come here, they're like, you guys are different, but it's a good different. And so in these coming days, I, I know there's going to be a lot of questions, maybe. The elders are all going to be available today. And, it, and if you're in one of our elder small groups, you can, you can ask them. None of this is secret. Uh, I think I got to do a little bit of like, hey, this was God told me, not they told me. Uh, I have no scandals, uh, I don't think. It's also not because I'm tired of this. I've loved this. But God calls, so I will go. And I'm hoping that you'll see that obedience does not always equal like, oh, this is fun. That obedience sometimes means laying down your life so that the life of Christ can go and do whatever he wants. 
So I have, I'm, I, I'm missing like 18 details, but if you're going to fast, not even if, uh, we've actually set up, there's little blue carts on the table outside this front door. There's prayer meetings every day of the week except Saturday. And Mike Shea has done an excellent job of setting this up. And so during this fast, come join, and there's six or five or six other churches that are taking part. They'll be at these different churches, and I just have to lay this groundwork. One of them's a Pentecostal church. We know how Pentecostals get down, y'all. So I just want you to go there with a high degree of discernment. We're not going to ask them to change how they pray because we're there. I just want you to know, hey, when you go to the Pentecostal church, you'll probably hear tongues. And we're not offended about that because we believe in tongues too. Just a little different, but the same. And if you go to OBF, I would expect you to honor their elders and bless them. And if you go to any of these places that you would join OV and you would join Mike and you would join AP Church and you would say, hey, we're here because we feel the call of God not to just seclude ourselves, but to join the other brothers and sisters in this town and in this region for the glory and the kingdom of God. That's, there's some big things happening with this fast. Look at that, 11.27, I got three minutes left. I'm killing it, Jeremiah. I think my greatest ask would not be like, oh, Andrew, or, but as I was praying in the prayer room this morning, that you would join me in surrendering to God. That he would get your yes. That if God calls you today, you would say yes. Because this is what I'll say for me. God has set up some guys behind me. He's good like that. He knows what he's doing. But if I didn't say yes, they can't step up. And if you don't say yes, I guarantee you, you don't know how your yes to God will actually affect your kids, will affect your neighbors, will affect your friends. Because you're, you saying yes to God provokes something. It makes room for stuff. And, and so I don't know if I can make this happen, but I'm, I'm just going to get on my face. And I would, can you? Join me if you're there in surrendering to God. And that's how I'd actually like to end my, I was going to be dramatic, my final sermon. It's not. But I'm very all or nothing, and I'd run off the cliff if I was allowed. So, Dave, can you come here? Hi, friend. He's just going to start worshiping. And then I'll fade away and... It's almost 11.30, and that'll be time to get your kids. You can always get the kids and come back in here and worship. Prayer teams are going to come up. Elders to be around. <laughs> so I'm a big, like, I don't think the position matters, but if you would, would you join me on your face? And I know that's a big ask for a lot of people, but if you want, you don't have to. safest place is on your face before Jesus. The 
place of comfort and the place of power is found here. Not on stages, not in front of a lot of people, but submitted at the feet of Jesus, at the safest place. So Jesus, we gladly surrender to you. lives, God, and glorify the name of Jesus. Take these men and these women and lead them by your spirit. Give them willing hearts, hearts of obedience. May Cobblestone forever be a church that's not of the world, but that is of the kingdom of heaven. We surrender all. We give you everything, God, our yes and our money and our kids. You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? So if by my life or by my death you get glory, glory to Jesus Christ. Help us not cling to the things of earth, our comfort or anything, all those joys of the earth, but cling to the heaven. those that are face down and even those that are not come and consume these sacrifices take these living sacrifices and put your fire upon them God burn them up use them for your kingdom and your glory may your kingdom come and your will be done in their lives their kids lives and their kids kids lives may the generations hear of Jesus and Jesus alone we install you as king today no other name we want so right there in your seat you got to make a decision will you give Jesus everything and will you tell him if so (laughs) we're going to spend the remainder of today right here there will be no dismissal there will be no fanfare you got to get your kids great but if God's working why would we run anywhere else I really do love you guys Thank you for letting me be your pastor. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless you.